Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Maybe. Yes, sir! Michiana's sports leader, 96.1 FM, WSBT presents... Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! The Golf Show. I'm a big believer in fate. I have a good feeling about this. That's all I'm going to tell you. Welcome to another edition of The Golf Show on Michiana Sports Leader 96.1 FM WSBT. From our WSBT studios in Mishawaka, I'm Darren Pritchett. We've got Tim Firestone in studio. He is the owner at Blackthorn Golf Club. John Foster, the general manager at Notre Dame's Warren, unable to join us. He is right now in Boston at the U.S. Senior Open. Getting a little feel for how the U.S. Senior Open works, obviously, with Notre Dame's Warren hosting the U.S. Senior Open in 2019. He's caught in some traffic, which can happen in Boston. I thought he was playing. Maybe, no? Yeah, I, I have a feeling that's probably not the he didn't case. Get, he didn't get a sponsor's exemption? <laughs> no. Oh. He's not like Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors, <laughs> who's going to be playing in a pro event. I think there'd be a lot of people in Boston who would love to see Foster play. Without a doubt. In the Senior U.S. Open. That would be a good draw. I would actually like to see John with a club in his hand for the first time in two years, <laughs> other than when he's teaching someone and just holding the club. Because I haven't seen him swing the club in a long time. Although, I guess you guys can say the same thing about me, too. Okay, so, yeah. I'm guilty as charged. But hopefully that'll change very, very soon. So, no John this week. He'll be back next week. And he'll be able to offer some insight of what he saw at Salem Country Club in Peabody, Massachusetts, where the U.S. Senior Open is taking place. Kirk Triplett shot 62 yeah, on Thursday. Up. I think they had a lot of rain at soft, wide fairways. Um, kind of sounds familiar, course. doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at a USGA event. Kind of reminds me of Aaron Hills. They from, could be on their way out to like breaking, if you do the combined scoring averages of all the USGA professional events. They might, have, they might be breaking a record this year. You're probably right. I mean, how many times have we seen anything like this through the years? I mean, you can't say any time. So, and Salem Country Club is 6,815 yards, a par 70, so it's not a long golf course. Mm -hmm. And right now the guys are lighting it up at the U.S. Senior Open. Can't wait to see what happens in a couple of years at Warren Golf Course at Notre Dame if we see any 62s. I would doubt I, that. I just, I can't see yeah, it. Yeah, I don't see it either. I can't see it. If that happens, I'll be absolutely shocked. Just with the size of the greens, mm -hmm. doesn't that yep. just limit your scoring a little bit? Because you, you have to be so precise. Yep, I agree. So that could be our excuse. I could see a 65, well. you know. Yeah. 66, maybe. Well, it's going to play as a par or 70, 70 or 71. I think. Yeah. So maybe. I could see a 65, maybe. Depending but, on where they, how they play 10 and how they play uh, 17. But yeah. It's interesting, since our last program, when we spent a lot of time talking about the U.S. Open and the big scores, and we had a long discussion, has the USGA lost its identity with the national championship? And I kind of think they have, although the next two years we're back at traditional golf courses, so let's see if the USGA can reel it back in a little bit. 
and kind of become the old U.S. Open. But isn't it interesting? I was thinking about this earlier this week when I was on the road with the Cubs. You think back to the Open Championship at Troon last summer, and what stood out? A lot of birdies. Henrik Stenson and Phil Mickelson had this great duel coming down the stretch. Mickelson played terrific, shot 17 under par, which would have won almost, what, any Open Championship? Mm -hmm. And he lost by three as Stenson shot 63 in the final round. And what have we talked about since? And that was one of the best final rounds in major golf championship mm -hmm. history. I mean, the guys were dueling. Phil played great and mm -hmm. just got beat by a guy that shot a 63. So here's a major with all the birdies, all the excitement, and we say it's fantastic. But yet the, C the U.S. Open has a birdie fest, not to the same extent because we didn't have that duel where two guys were just shooting the lights out. But it's funny, and I'm guilty as well, that when 16 under par wins the U.S. Open, it's a negative. Yeah. It's just kind of strange how that works. It is weird, yep. Because the Open Championship was as good as anything we have seen in a long, long time. But I guess that's the U.S. Open with par being protected for so long. And now all of a sudden we see big scores. And a lot of us, like myself, kind of get grumpy when we see that. I haven't noticed. I've never could tell that you were upset about this. <laughs> We haven't talked about it on the show, have we? I know. Oh. I just want to bring that up because I'm guilty because I love the Open. That was fantastic entertainment. Yeah, I hear you. And had the same thing happened at the U.S. Open, I would have been the first complaining. And I'm the first to admit it. And maybe I'm showing my weakness. I don't know that I'm wrong, but I found no. that interesting. Well, speaking of Phil Mickelson, Tim, some interesting news from a little over a week ago. Mickelson and his longtime caddy, Bones McKay, have broken up after 25 years as a golf tandem, participating at over 600 events. I believe the first time they were together was the 1992 U.S. Open qualifier. I think it was in Memphis, possibly. And they have been together ever since through all the major championship wins and the U.S. Open heartbreak and everything else in between. It's a very strange time for this breakup to take place with Phil now at 47 years old mm -hmm. and coming toward the end of his career. It, it just, they're almost like the first family of golf for a lot of golf fans because they're always together. Right. And we've known them as a duel for so long. It's a very odd time for this to take place. So they're not saying anything's wrong. They say it was both sides wanted this to happen. But this is a very strange time for this to happen, isn't it? Yeah, I think that um, everybody feels like there's more to the story. Um, and I've heard Phil interviewed on uh, the Dan Patrick show and a couple on the Golf Channel maybe. But it, if there's something that happened, they're definitely doing a great job covering it up because they're sticking to their story. And um, But you're right. Why would you do this? In the middle of a season, wouldn't you do this, you know, at the end of the year or, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me, but um, I'll, he'll have no problem finding a job. I'll tell you that he'll be right back on the bag quickly. I mean, the guy's got, I mean, think about his knowledge of all the golf courses that are played on the PGA Tour and all the major venues and, and all the knowledge that Bones has. I think um, he'll do quite well in picking up uh, a new a new player and a good player, Last time they were together was in Memphis. They were going to be at the U.S. Open, but then due to the graduation of Phil's daughter, it didn't work out where Phil got to play. Bones was there, though, scouting the golf course in case there was a rain delay, and that would have meant that Phil would have been able to play. So he was still working hard up until the end. But you think about there's been a lot of great caddies, and we know some of the names of the caddies, but 
in this era, Bones McKay is kind of the guy. Fluff was the guy for a while when he was with Tiger, and he's been with Furyk for a long time. He's got the, the big mustache and the good nickname that's easy to remember. But a lot of the, the names of the caddies we don't know. We've known Bones mm -hmm. for a long time just because he and Phil have been so... I don't know if outspoken, but on the golf course, yeah. they do a lot of talking, talking mm -hmm. and they always stick the microphones in. Mm -hmm. And I always thought they had a unique relationship. There didn't ever seem to be a whole lot of times where they were upset, but I do they would remember. Argue. Yeah, they would. They would they argue would. from mm -hmm. time to time, but at the same time, it was pretty under control. Mm -hmm. But I remember at the Players' Championship, Phil got misclubbed. He wanted to hit one thing. Bones kept pounding the table for the other, and the ball went in the water because Phil went with Bones. And it was really the first time I ever saw Phil really, really <laughs> agitated at Bones. And I don't know if that sparked something or if that was just one time we caught him at the, at the wrong time. But that stood out. But in terms of stress for a caddy, outside of being Bubba Watson and John <laughs> Daly's caddy, for other reasons, because they're handfuls right. and they're outspoken, they blame the caddies a lot, being Phil Mickelson's caddy, doesn't have, that have to be one of the toughest jobs? Oh, yeah. Considering the way he plays, plays the game? Golf. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a very good point. I mean, trying to manage that. And, and I think that's why Bones was so special and why their relationship was so good and successful. Because not too many guys could have handled that. You know what I mean? So it was a it was a pretty cool relationship. But I think the other thing too, the thing about for Bones, you know, Phil's forty seven. Let's be honest, Phil's not going to win a lot more golf, right? So now Bones has the opportunity. I mean, he can caddy for another fifteen years, probably ten to fifteen years. And if he can get on a bag of a younger player, he's got a lot more money to make in his career. So that probably had something to do with it as well, I would think, because Phil's not going to play that many senior tour events. I wouldn't think. It's right? hard to believe. Yeah, I wouldn't see that. And he has too many other interests, and I just don't know if that's. Something he wants to do. In fact, I think he's been on the record as saying when he was asked about would winning a U.S. Senior Open help fill that void, and he said really it wouldn't. It's mm -hmm. all about winning the U.S. Open. I, I think even just talking to John a little bit, I don't know if there was ever an expectation. I think Phil's 49 when the U.S. Senior Open comes yeah, to Warren. He's I think one he year away. it by a year, yeah. but I don't know if he'd even play No, when I he turns it. 50. I just think he's... I doubt it. I don't know if too much pride is the right word. But he's just a well, PGA what, Tour player. Right, and I think he feels like he's going to be competitive on the PGA Tour at the age of 50, would be my guess. And he's not, clearly doesn't need the money. Um, and family matters to him, you know what I mean? He, he likes to spend time uh, with his family. So I, I would be shocked if he plays uh, in any senior events until much further down the road, if ever. Outside of the arthritis problem that we heard about that seems to be under control, we have not heard that being no. talked about a lot the last couple of years. Yeah. He seems very, very healthy. And you see guys like Steve Stricker play on both tours. I mean, VJ Singh is still very competitive. He's got to be 53, 54 now. Yeah, mm -hmm, probably. He showed up at the Players' Championship, was on the leaderboard in the final round. So I, Phil's going to be competitive for a long time. He's going to be a PGA Tour player. Maybe he shows up at a couple of senior events, but it just doesn't seem like his scene, you know? Yep. Kind of like Foster, you know. <laughs> His scene is New Orleans, you know, not really other places. So, But Tim Mickelson is going to be the caddy for Phil for the rest of the year. And that's obviously Phil's brother, who was the head coach at Arizona State. Right. And then left that job to become the agent for John Rahm, mm -hmm. who was at Arizona State, the young player from Europe that has played terrific so far this year. So there was some speculation. Would Bones become... Rom's new caddy, and that has not unfolded as of yet, but... Interesting. That would be I had not heard a that. logical fit. That would be. And talk about a great young star. Oh. I mean, that'd be 
a really good fit. That's interesting. Well, Phil said that McKay has not told him anything. They're on good terms, but nothing of note as of yet. But that's something to watch with Rom. And I tell you what, we've had the discussion, and we're actually going to kind of get into this a little later. But with the tour being a little stale right now, you almost kind of need Rom being ticked off and jabbering and firing a club Mm -hmm. because it brings a little pizzazz right now to the PGA Tour. Well, I'll tell you what. Last week on the PGA Tour was a a complete shot of adrenaline that the Tour needed with that finish with Jordan Spieth's celebration. And, I mean, talk about... And we've talked... I think we talked about last week where the PGA Tour has just kind of been stale. I mean, just a little boring. Like, nothing really going on. The, The great players are not playing great. They're not winning the tournaments. Rory's missed the cut. I think... Or just barely made the cut. Jason Day missed the cut. I mean, it's like, where are these guys going to start playing? And then Spieth plays average at best and and wins. I mean, yeah. he, he did not have his A game at all. And uh, when he made that shot and that celebration was spectacular. You know, Tim, it's funny. And you mentioned the Dan Patrick show a few moments ago, which is on WSBT Radio 9 to noon each weekday. On Monday, Dan got into a discussion about Spieth's reaction. Did you hear this? I did. And Dan was all in favor of Jordan getting excited, but he brought up that there were some members of the golf community that were turned off. And if you didn't see it, Spieth on the 72nd hole, no, it was a playoff hole, hole, excuse me. Mm-hmm. He was in the bunker on the 72nd hole and just missed making it. Went back in the bunker again on the playoff hole and dunked it, and that put him in position to win. He had to wait to see what the other player did, of course, before he officially celebrated. I think it was kind of like the Ryder Cup when Justin Leonard and the U.S. team celebrated. Poor Daniel Berger had no chance of... I mean, after that (laughs) eruption and celebration, I mean... So anyway, the discussion was on the Dan Patrick show that there were some in the golf community turned off by Spieth's reaction, and he made the shot out of the bunker with his left hand kind of just threw the club to the side out of the bunker. And then left the bunker and did kind of a chest back bump with his caddy, who had thrown the rake that was in his hand. And for people to be turned off by that, I really don't know what you want from the game of golf. We're not a country club on the PGA Tour. If that was the attitude, and it was for a while, that's why golf, why it didn't grow and why uh, it wasn't appealing to the masses. But everything that happened Sunday with Jordan was exactly what golf needs. But Tim, the thing is, the game of golf is all about being honest. If you make a mistake, you call a penalty on yourself. That's what the game should be all about. Not being able to react... It wasn't a stage reaction. It wasn't Terrell Owens grabbing a Sharpie after scoring a <laughs> touchdown and signing a football. No, it was just... It was not stage. It was just pure reaction to probably winning a PGA Tour event. And if you can't celebrate like that, I don't know what you want from the PGA Tour. And there was a caller, and he sounded like an older gentleman on the PGA Tour. And he said, you know, Jordan Spieth at 23, it's okay to do that. But when he's 33, he basically said that it's not acceptable. I'm like, why? (laughs) Can you imagine if Jack Nicklaus at 46, winning the Masters, makes a long putt and kind of chest bumps his son? (laughs) Wouldn't that be one of the greatest moments in golf history? That would be. 
Yeah. So just because he's young, it's okay. But when he gets older, oh no, right. we can't do that. It was like Hale Irwin running around the green yes. when he won the U.S. Open high five. I mean, that, 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 you remember that. You know, no, everybody's going to remember this Jordan Spieth celebration. Everybody's going to remember Hale, or, Hale Irwin. So, and even Tiger Woods had a, you know, a little fire to him when he, on his celebration with his fist pump and stuff like that. But. And then you had Roy McIlroy a few years ago throwing his four iron in the lake. <laughs> and we still remember that. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I John mean, come Daly on. making a 16 at, yeah. you know, I've probably done it a few times. But. I feel like we worry too much about what kids see on television, that it's setting a bad example, that Rory throwing that club in the water sets a bad example. You know what? I don't think so. I think it's up to us as parents to teach our kids what's right and wrong. And it's a teachable moment if something like that happens on television. So Yeah, look at look at baseball, people charging the mound. You look at hockey fight, you know, you look at the NBA. I mean, that was like a those NBA finals were like a, a WWF match broke out. So what I mean, golf is so tame. It's probably you know, a guy gets a little mad and throws his club down or, you know, all of a sudden it's the end of the world, you know? I remember up at Benton Harbor last year for the Senior PGA Championship, I just wanted to follow John Daly. I'd never seen him in person, just wanted to experience John Daly for a few holes. So I probably walked with him for six holes, and Bernhard Langer was there too. So, I mean, it was a fun pairing. And I would say probably in the six holes, Daly lit up a cigarette maybe three times. And see, I don't have a problem with that either. I don't have any problem with them smoking cigarettes. I mean, that was... The PGA Tour for how many years? Oh, yeah. And again, it comes down to us as parents, just a teachable moment. Well, and like, now they won't put that on TV. If they get grab a shot of a player, with the, you, know, they don't, you, don't, you don't ever see them. Of so. all the things you see on network TV now. I know. And all You're the worried words, about John Daly having a cigarette. Yeah, all the words <laughs> that we hear now on network TV, I mean, there's pretty much... Yeah, there's everything. Nothing that yep. is untouchable. We can't show a man in his 50s smoking a cigarette <laughs> on a golf course. <laughs> How silly has our society become? Ugh. And Jordan Spieth can't celebrate. Well, Jordan, keep doing it because mm -hmm. it was a great moment. And it is the highlight of the year on the PGA Tour. And barring a miraculous shot in a major, that's going to be the most remembered moment in golf. Yep, you're right. Now, hopefully there'll be something like Phil a few years ago off the pine straw at Augusta where he hit the magical shot. We remember that. And I think Spieth's shot probably will be the play of the year on the PGA Tour. The Golf Show brought to you by Warren Golf Course at Notre Dame and Blackthorn, Tim Firestone, Darren Pritchett with you on this Saturday morning. John Foster at the U.S. Senior Open. He'll be back with us next week here on 96.1 FM WSBT. You have experience with the Four Winds Invitational at Blackthorn. You're the tournament director for the Symmetra Tour event. So you have given out sponsors' exemptions every year. So I want to get into a, just a quick discussion about that. But first... Can you just explain to our listeners why there are sponsors' exemptions, how many there are, and what you are looking for when you hand out those sponsors' oh, exemptions? Great question. So we, um, uh, and it changed, Darren. At first, for the first three years we had the event, we were only allowed one sponsor exemption. Set um, by the Symmetra Tour? Yep, that's okay. set by the Tour rules. Um, and it, it, it had to be um, an amateur player, could not be a pro, I believe it was, was, the, uh, hmm. um, was the requirement. And the idea with that was that you get a young local player who's an amateur to be able to play 
uh, in your event. And then they opened it up to where you got two, and they gave a little bit more flexibility on who could be invited. So what we typically try to do um, when we look at this is, you know, how do we attract media attention to the event and, and, and increase attendance? Well, obviously, one of the best ways is to find a local player. And who can bring out a crowd. So we've had Julia Potter. We've had um, 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 Carrie. Carrie Belleville had a great crowd that, that came out and played. No Anna Wilcoxon, who plays at Western Michigan, who's from South Bend, was a sponsor exemption. So we've done a great job kind of finding local players. And then we try to find a really good... Uh, maybe up-and-coming college graduate who doesn't quite have their Symmetra Tour uh, standing where they're not on the tour yet, uh, like this year we had Kelly Grasso. And then, obviously, the one year we had, we were lucky, Brooke Henderson, who's also having a great week this week in Chicago at the, at the LPGA Major, the KPMG. But, you know, she had no status on the Symmetra Tour. She was 17 years old. And so we offered her uh, an exemption, and it worked out great to have her in our field. It was the highlight of our six years probably having her win the tournament. But anyway, you're, you're looking for uh, attention and media play um, is really what it comes down to, to add excitement to your event. And so you have the Web.com Tour, which is the minor league tour for the PGA Tour. There's an event out in the San Francisco area in August and they have offered a sponsor's exemption to Warriors point guard Steph Curry, who is actually a pretty good golfer. But as we know, being a pretty good golfer away from a golf tournament <laughs> is one thing, but playing in a golf tournament is another. John Smoltz is one heck of a golfer, the former Braves pitcher. I think he was a plus two and went out and shot 84 in a professional <laughs> golf tournament. Jerry Rice has been in this tournament a couple of times on the web.com tour, and I think he finished last, next to last, and withdrew. Okay. So it's one thing to go out with the buddies and play a golf course and shoot 68 or 72, but between the ropes, it's just a whole different story. So as someone that understands what a sponsor's exemption can do for a professional golf tournament, and as someone that picks who's going to play in those particular roles, are you okay with a guy like Steph Curry getting that exemption, or should it go to someone more deserving that's trying to make their way as a professional golfer? So that's a great question. So in this particular case, and I'm sure it was the same case with Jerry Rice, these are... Um, uh, it's a they basically add another player to the field, or it's it's not he's not taking the spot of another professional who could be in the field. It's a, a restricted exemption, I think, is the terminology for it. So it's not it's 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 not taking away an opportunity for someone else to to play in the event. So for them, it's a brilliant move. Are you kidding me? I mean, Steph Curry in that market, uh, people. It's I mean, it's probably going to increase their attendance by twenty percent. So I have no problem with it. I think it's a, a great move, and I I think he won't break eighty, and he'll he'll finish in last place. But that's okay. Um, the only thing you got to worry about is if a guy's too bad and he affects the other players that he's playing with. If a guy's going to go out there and shoot 85, you have to hunt for golf balls on every hole. I mean, that gets a little annoying if you're out there trying to compete. So um, that would be the only thing. But I, I think he's a good enough player where he'll be okay. I've seen his golf swing, and it looks like he can keep it and play, and um, it'll be great for that event. So the key point is... He is not taking a spot from anybody. No, that's correct. You're exactly right. And that's what's kind of been misreported. Like, well, there must be this young stud somewhere that deserves the opportunity. Not the case. You mean the media is wrong again? Fake news. Fake news. <laughs> you got to go to Twitter and Instagram to get all the real news. 
So there you go. And boy, it worked out well for Brooke Henderson at the Four Winds Invitational. You offered her the sponsor's exemption. She had a great final round, won the tournament, and that win had sent her to the LPGA Tour. And I know you still follow her pretty closely. I mean, she's still a young gal with probably her best golf in front of her. But, I mean, is she one of the best five players in the world right now? Can we put that type of label on her? Oh, I think there's no doubt about it. I think she, um, I don't know what her world ranking is right now. Probably She's probably five, six, or seven. But she's 19 or 20 years old. And she hits the ball so hard and so far. And... Um, she's going to be one of the best players in the game of golf for the next 10 years. I mean, there's no doubt about it. After six years running that golf tournament, and with your perception of the LPGA Tour and women's golf to now being up close and around these girls and watching them play for six years as these players try to get to the LPGA Tour, is there anything in particular that surprised you or maybe you said, wow, I didn't think they would be this good in that area or the tour itself, the Symmetra Tour. Have you have you learned anything about the tour that maybe has surprised you the last six years? I think the biggest thing that we learned is that the the, the real difference between the girls that play at Blackthorn every year and the LPGA Tour is all putting. I mean, they are just. I mean, and I think they would all tell you the same thing that they all hit the ball in the fairway and they yeah. all hit greens, and what they all don't do is putt. And um, you know. That their putting is is the biggest weakness, and you're talking about if you think about it, Darren. These players are literally like one shot or a shot and a half away from their scoring average from being on the Symmetra Tour or being on the LPGA Tour. So it's not like you know it's it's a five shot swing between Symmetra Tour and the LPGA Tour. So it's really making a putt, making another putt around almost, you know what I'm saying? So it's really, uh, I was surprised at how weak the putting was, I guess would be the, my biggest okay. revelation with, with, with women's golf. I think the one thing that surprised me, and I found this out a couple of times playing in the pro-am before the tournament is how far they hit the ball. The ear, that's true. There's just the perception they hit it 220 out there, nice easy swing. Well, there's some of that. I mean, there's a big discrepancy on length on on that on the Symmetra Tour as well. I mean, you have some girl like Nicole Vandermate who won our event one year. She hit it like 280. I mean, just <laughs> pounded it. Brooke killed it. Yeah. But then you have some players that just down the middle and they they're relying on. I mean, I remember some some years where they're hitting hybrids in on our nine tournament 18. Some of the players, and then some were hitting nine irons and wedges. So there's a big discrepancy in length out there as well golf show presented by warren golf course at notre dame and blackthorn tim firestone darren pritchett with you john foster on assignment this week he'll be back next week when we come back just i want to read something to you and get your reaction that there is a golf writer that is playing to tiger woods to never play golf again and I'll see if you like the reasoning coming up as the golf show continues. Brought to you by Blackthorn Golf Club and Warren Golf Course at Notre Dame on Michiana Sports Leader 96.1 FM WSBT. Welcome back to the golf show on Michiana Sports Leader 96.1 FM WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchett. We are brought to you by Warren Golf Course at Notre Dame and Blackthorn Golf Club. Coming up tonight, we have South Bend Cubs baseball at 7 o'clock here on WSBT as the Cubs take on the Dayton Dragons. Right now, it's time to bring in former PGA Tour player Scott Gump, who was 
a guy who almost won the 1999 Players Championship, beaten out in the final round by David Duvall. We love talking golf with the Notre Dame assistant golf coach, Scott Gump. Is it fair to say, Scott, that that week the greens were sort of like what we saw last Saturday at the TPC? They were very brown, and it was like basically putting on the top of your kitchen table. And Twitter is great, but oftentimes now you'll see golfers after a round tell it like it is, and many of the golfers were very upset about the conditions at TPC. A, do you think they were right? And B, is that a fair comparison to what you had to go up against in 99? Yes. Uh, again, I'd have to probably look at the tape and really figure out ooh, how much firm and faster they were, but it was quite a challenge. I loved, uh, now that I wasn't playing, I love watching the Saturday uh, part of the uh, TPC tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, the funny or the more interesting part for me is that shows the power that a superintendent or the conditions, not always the superintendent, just the conditions of the day, uh, will dictate what scores are possible. Think about this. The, the layout was the same. The pen placements were about the same. The, the, the height of the rough was about the same. The, the level of the players, they didn't magically change that much overnight. It was purely the firmness and the speed of the greens uh, for a number of different reasons I found out later uh, that changed. And also what the stroke average went from, I think it was 71 to 76. Um, Wow. I mean, it was an amazing change. And it was just because of conditions, not because of anything else. And what, what surprised me the most watching the telecast was that I've played to where literally I'm over a, a 10 or 12 foot putt. I'm trying not to make it. And I'm sure everybody like, you're a professional. What are you talking about? Well, I knew when to go into defensive mode. I knew when to like, you know, if I make it, that's cool. But I want a little tap in. I was shocked by the number of the guys that kept on running the ball five, six feet by. And that when they hit it, it looked like the ball had so much steam those guys didn't respond and didn't react very well. I mean, it was an unusual circumstance, um, but I was a little shocked by that. I would consider myself good at that, um, and that's why I survived playing professional. I wasn't as good as hitting the Jason Day towering six iron um, or, you know, the, the Jordan Spieth ability to knock in 35-foot putts all day. But I did, it's funny, I watched that. I did consider myself really good at figuring out the day's quiz and knowing that, okay, I'm a 15-footer. I have no interest in making this, but I'm going to guarantee I'm going to be up there a foot away. So I take away the three-putt. You know, that's one of my skills, and that's probably why I was successful that week. Finally, you got to tell us what it's like to play the 17th with a golf tournament on the line on Sunday. Uh, well, I didn't throw up or I didn't peen my pants, so I would consider that a major triumph. I'll, I'll give you that. Yes, I am as ner- you are as nervous as I'll get out, and yes, you rely heavily on your years of training. The goal yeah. is to just get up, do your same thing, and execute, and before you know it, the golf ball is flying. Fortunately, it's the 17th hole. Um, I've heard stories, and I've had it happen to me also. Lee Trevino leading the U.S. Open, going down the the, the last round. He says he has no memory of playing the first couple of holes. 
He said wow. he was so nervous that you can't even even. I've heard guys that have won major championships and won millions of dollars saying one of the harder things to do is tee the ball up on the first tee at Augusta. Just getting the ball on that tee because your hands, the adrenaline, you're shaking. I mean, it's a bit of something. If the 17th tee shot was the very first shot of the day, oh, man. Fortunately, it's usually four hours in, and you have your rhythm, and you kind of know what to expect, and you, you just you just execute, and you get on autopilot and everything else. Um, I know for me, the when the guys aim at that right pin, that's pretty amazing to me because oh. there's there's the TV tower and behind the green, and every day I walked up and I would just stare at that TV tower. And I would look, you know, what, about 15 yards to the right of that tower, 15 yards to the left, and going, okay, all I have to do is hit in between those goalposts, and I'll be okay. Yeah. So, and it's it's literally everybody thinks, oh, I'm going to flight it, and I'm going to fade it three yards, and I'm going to take a little spin off it. Trust me, I just want to get the ball airborne. I'm not kidding. And when I, when that, that actually gave me a break, so I'm like, okay, I don't have to do anything special here. Let me just hit it through the goalposts. Yeah. And that helped me when I was uh, s- sweating. Notre Dame assistant coach Scott Gum, former PGA Tour player, our guest here on The Golf Show, presented by Blackthorne and Warren Golf Course. Congratulations to John Handrigan. He is the new University of Notre Dame men's golf coach. He was at Kansas as an assistant coach 2009 through 2011. University of Florida coach from 11 through 17 the last two years. He was the associate head coach at the University of Florida. This is the Golf Show on WSBT. We're back on the Golf Show presented by Blackthorn Golf Club and Warren Golf Course at Notre Dame. John Foster off today. Tim Firestone, Darren Pritchett with you. So I have to ask, you played a little golf this week, so tell the folks what you shot. Well, I had not played a lot of golf at all this summer. I think it was my sixth round of the year, but I put together a decent round. I shot even par yesterday at Blackthorn. Decent round. It wasn't too bad. Um, I shot even par and still lost money, though, so I don't know how that worked out. It was not... <laughs> I was on the wrong team, obviously, but... <laughs> or the handicap anyway. structure was not yeah, what yeah. you were looking for. Yeah, that's exactly right, but, but anyway... It, it, it was just fun shows to play you, good. folks, you can go out, not play a whole lot, and I've found this so many times. If I haven't played in a while, you just go out and play, and what happens? You have zero expectations. Mm-hmm. You have that's zero right. swing thoughts. Mm-hmm. And you just swing the club. And for the first 12, 13 holes, you're playing fantastic. And then you get to the 14th tee and what happens? You start thinking, well, how am I doing this? <laughs> and then, and then the goal goes wrong. Yep. But sometimes just, you know, playing every once in a while, you go out and you just find That's it. why I said really good players are either really, really stupid or really, really smart. You know, so either the you know dumb guys don't think about it, just get up and hit it, or you got to be really, really smart. So, anyway, well, nice going. I would think I'm more on the stupid side, so that would <laughs> no, I don't would, think so. We clear it up. It just shows you there's hope for everybody. Go out and play, and just go out and have fun, and good things will happen. That's right. Okay, so it just seems like, and you brought this up a couple of weeks ago, the PGA Tour has been stale. We just talked about speed celebrating, and some people getting upset about that. Well. I think there is something to the fact that the tour is stale, that we have to bring up all these weird storylines just to have a conversation about golf. And a guy I have a lot of respect for, John Feinstein, who was on the Golf Channel, mm-hmm. writer of so many books. And I think he's a very knowledgeable golf guy. He was on a golf podcast this week, and he had this to say about the U.S. Open and what Ricky Fowler said afterwards. Now, Ricky came close to winning the U.S. Open. He was in contention for a while 
ended up, I think, six shots back of Brooks Kepka. Here's what Feinstein had to say, quote, Listen to Ricky Fowler, for example, after the U.S. Open. I wrote something. I wish Ricky would get more ticked off about losing. <laughs> I changed the word there. Yes, okay. He's a great kid, and he said, oh, I'm so happy for Brooks. Well, he shouldn't be happy for Brooks. Nothing against Brooks, but he should have been saying, I'm sick and tired of not finishing on Sunday at a major. I'm going to figure out how to finish on a Sunday at a major, end quote. Now, Feinstein went on to say that top athletes and competitors in all different sports for three decades requires a little bit of meanness in you. He noted that Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods wanted to step on their opponents' throats every time they stepped on the golf course. And what do you know? They're legendary players mm -hmm. in the game of golf. Now, everybody has their own mentality, and I don't want people to change. I've always said to the people that get upset that Irish head football coach Brian Kelly gets red-faced and he yells... That's his personality. Why would I want him to change? He's got to be who he is. Tim, you need to be who you are, and I need to be who I am. So you're not going to change everybody, but is there something to what John is saying about oh, there's Fowler? No, I think there's no doubt about it. I mean, I think that if you look at the competitiveness um, and you look at the Michael Jordans and you look at um, the Tigers and the Jacks and just their competitiveness and wanting to literally destroy their opponent, the, I don't see that. We've talked about that on the show before. That's not, you don't see that on the PGA Tour. Mm -hmm. These guys are all buddies. They're all happy for each other because they're making so much stinking money. That's the thing. And there's no, I mean, what's the, what's the motivation other than the personal pride? And a lot of it, I mean, these guys are living the dream, man. They're making 15 million. Ricky Fowler probably with endorsements and his earnings will make 15 to 20 million dollars this year. And he cannot win it and without winning a tournament, maybe, you know? So I think it's 100% correct. And that's why Tiger. And Jack were the best of all time. It's because they're competitors of just grinding it out, making putts. You know, it's, um, and uh, you don't, I mean, Jordan Smith's got a little bit of it, I think, um, but not, not outwardly like Tiger. I mean, Tiger was a, you know what, to play with. I mean, guys did yeah. not like playing with him, and he was just mean. And, and that was a part of his intimidation factor. Nobody has that on the tour right now. It was brought up during the U.S. Open that, Ricky Fowler's swing coach, Butch Harmon, before the season got, under, got underway, had a pretty harsh conversation with Fowler. Do you want to be a Kardashian or do you want to be a professional golfer? Because Ricky owns social media. And he sh pops up on TV with commercials all the time. He's got the insurance commercial. And now there's another set of commercials with mortgages that he's a part of. He's arguably the most recognizable guy in the game of golf. Yeah, no doubt. With Tiger Especially with on the, the sideline. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Now, Phil's recognizable, but the younger generation are really big into Ricky Fowler. And you're exactly right. He makes so much money with endorsements. And even not winning golf tournaments, you can make an unbelievable living without all of the sponsorship money. So... Honestly, it should help Ricky. Ricky should be in a better position to win a major compared to other guys from the standpoint that he is very, very comfortable. Mm -hmm. He is set for life. He's not like a guy in the 70s oh, that yeah. was maybe, I don't even know if there was World Golf Rankings then, so this is just the point. If you're 100th on the money list or 100th in the World Golf Rankings in the 70s, you're scratching and clawing. They're sleeping to put in your car. You're driving all across the country in your, you know, in your Chevy. Yep. These guys are flying private jets to every event and drinking champagne and, and living the dream. So he should have no pressure. 
No. He doesn't have to but win. But I think you said it best. It's You can't change how someone is, what their makeup is, right? I mean, not everybody has that killer instinct, and he doesn't. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, he's he's a great player, great ball striker. He's, a, you know, one of the best players in the game, and that's who he is. So yeah, you, hit, you hit on the head. You can't change people, and that's just not how Ricky is right. And if he tried to become that, that could backfire on him, and he could be not as good of a player and maybe not as happy as a person. So... Not everybody has to or needs to be VJ Singh hitting 2,000 <laughs> golf balls a day. <laughs> if I'm Ricky Fowler, I'm having fun too. Right, right. He's, he's young. young. He's got a beautiful girlfriend. He's, like I said, jetting all around the country, going all over the place. I mean, the guy's got like an out of care in the world. Again, I just feel like we're searching for stories I in know. golf because there just it's isn't. Mm-hmm. We're so used to having the dominant guy in Tiger. But that was the story. Who's going to beat Tiger? Now there's no story. There's no one to beat right now. It's just a very deep, competitive feel in the game of golf. You're right. We'll step aside. We'll tell you what's coming up at Blackthorn next as the golf show continues on WSBT. Welcome back to the golf show on WSBT Radio. I'm Darren Pritchett. For a tee time, for information on the pro shop or just anything golf related, you can check out warrengolfcourse.com. Their telephone number is 574 631 4653. And at Blackthorn Golf Club out on Nymphs Parkway in South Bend, the phone number is 574 232 4653. For more information on Blackthorn, just go to blackthorngolf.com. The Golf Show is presented by Warren Golf Course at Notre Dame and Blackthorn Golf Club. My name is Darren Pritchett. South Bend Cubs baseball comes up tonight at 7 o'clock as the Cubs play at the Dayton Dragons. This is WSBT South Bend. Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 